welcome to Hope City Church, Melbourne, Australia. Stay tuned for another inspiring message by Pastor Andrew McGrath. Father, I thank you today for a mighty outpouring of your spirit as we open up your word. Thank you, Lord, that your word is prophetic in nature. It reveals things to come. Thank you, Lord, that you have a divine timetable, a clock for each person here today. Father, I thank you that you're at work, that no one is here by chance today, that you want to speak to every individual. And I pray awaken in every heart an understanding of the times and seasons. Awaken the slumber, Lord, the one that sleeps, awaken them out of their slumber. Awaken, Lord, those that have, Lord, their eyes have grown dim. Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus that there would come such a prophetic unction in the hearts of every hearer this day. Unlock prophetic understanding, I ask in the name of Jesus. Holy Spirit, settle over every heart and over every mind. And Lord, I pray that your word would come alive this day in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Amen. That sounded serious, didn't it? Last week we spoke about looking again. And I shared from the book of Luke how Jesus sent his his disciples, particularly Peter, out to look again. We said that we're in a season where God is calling us to look again with eyes of hope. That there's a sameness about this year for so many people. And we said last week that although it looks the same, it's not the same. And for some of you, you've entered into this year and everything feels and looks and smells the same. And I'm here to tell you, via the Spirit of God, it's not the same. It's not the same. It may look the same. Jesus sent Peter out to the very same location where he toiled and got nothing. But he was sending him out to the exact same location. But this time he launched out into the deep. The deep represents the mysterious things of God. You may have gone fishing and caught nothing. But God's sending you again. With this time armed with mysteries and understanding. To catch a lot of fish. I've had the Holy Spirit say just as a reminder of last week to someone here today. He's inviting you to return to the very same place. But this time he's given you mystery around the event that will lead you to fish where before there was none. What does that mean? The Holy Spirit is taking some of you back to previous events where you thought it was barren and nothing good came of it. But this time he's taking you back to those events with mystery attached, with fresh understanding. Some of you have actually labelled seasons in your life as fruitless and barren and without any purpose. In fact, some of you have labelled some seasons in your life as incredibly negative. But the Holy Spirit is taking you back into those same places. He's revisiting those places again in your life to give you a fresh perspective Because we shared last week that yesterday and today and forever are all intertwined. If you have a false understanding of your yesterday, you will carry that over to your future. And he's taking some of you back to rewrite your history 
so he can propel you into your future. Is that making sense? Is there anyone here today that needs their future rewritten? Their past, I mean. Amen. So we shared about looking again. And for many of you, the Holy Spirit's saying, look again, look again. Don't go into this year with the same expectation. Look again. It's not the same. Did you hear me? It's not the same. Isaiah 43.19 says, Look at the new thing that I'm about to do. We are in a decade, 5770, of seeing. Ayan in the Hebrew is the ability to see both good and evil. And some people are going to see life with incredibly dim, hopeless mindsets. But there's a hope company arising that sees the goodness of God in every circumstance. That's the opportunity that you have. And this is a decade like never before, I believe, where God's raising up prophetic people that have eyes to see, that are attuned to the way that God speaks. For some of you, you're getting unusual things happening. Some of you are getting numbers appearing, signs, all sorts of things. And God is speaking and he's introducing you to the world of the Spirit. Has has that been happening to anyone here at all? Just a couple. All right, Lord, raise up those people that are dead. Why don't you even lift up your hands now? Lord, those eyes that don't see yet prophetically, Lord, they do see. They just haven't recognized that. Cause them to see what it is that you are saying. I ask, Lord, I pray, open the eyes of the blind in Jesus' name. All right. So today we turn to Luke 18.35. We're going to read that and into Luke 19. Luke 18.35 is a story about a blind man sitting by the roadside begging. And I'm actually not focusing on this story, but I'm really focusing on Luke 19. But I want to start by saying this. That spiritual sight, according to this story with blind, the blind man, it comes to those that are desperate to see. Jesus says to this man who is caught by the edge of the road, he says, what is it that you want? He says, Lord, I want to see. I don't want a handout. I don't want anything else. I want to be able to see. The crowd tried to shut him down. Don't cry out to Jesus. He's busy. But he cried all the more. And for those that want spiritual sight, here is the key. You've got to want it more than anything else in life. It's got to be the deep cry of your heart. And I pray and I pray and I cry out to God, give me the ability to see. Give me the ability like the owl that can see a hundred times better in the dark than a human eye. Cause me to see into the future. Show me things to come. If I'm going to be an answer for my family, if I'm going to be an answer for this city, I've got to be able to see. What separates God's people from everyone else The ability to see. Are you hearing me? So you've got to cry out, God, cause me to see. I recognize there's so much blindness in my life. I walk into a day not knowing fully what it is that you want to do. But I want to be like Jesus, who who be able to perceive things to come. Who can say to his disciples, go into that town, and in that town you'll walk down the street, and you'll find a donkey there that's never been ridden, and you're going to untie it. When you untie it, people are going to say, what are you doing? And you tell them the Lord has need of it, and they'll let it go. That's spiritual sight. 
That's able to see into the future, things to come, so we're not reacting in life, but we're we're setting the stage for life. I want to be able to see. Anybody else? It's got to be the cry of your heart. It's not just, oh, yeah, I want to see. You've got to cry out for it. Say, God, do whatever it is. Get rid of the stuff that's stopping me seeing. Anoint my eyes with eye salve and cause me to see. See, we, we allow our eyes. The psalmist says, I won't allow any worthless thing to come before my eyes. And we allow so much negativity and junk to come before our eyes. And then we wonder why we can't see. So we cry out, God, Lord, I, I don't want to set my eyes. I don't want to set anything worthless before my eyes. I want to see what it is that you're showing me. Yeah. Is anyone else with me today? Yeah. Luke 19 then, Jesus entered. And I talk about this story in my book, but it's just such a great story. And he passed through Jericho. And behold, there was a little man called Zacchaeus, who was the chief. Are we following this? He was the chief tax collector, and he was rich. How many people would like to be little and rich? And he sought to see who Jesus was, but he could not see Jesus because of the crowd, for he was of short stature. And I felt the Holy Spirit say to me that so many people in the church and the body of Christ are consumed with seeing, just getting, just seeing on a on one dimension, just getting through life. Lord, help me to see through just for my own life. Give me a breakthrough in my problems. And there's a place for that. There's a place for personal transformation. But Zacchaeus didn't want to just see at that level. He wanted to see Jesus at a whole different level. And there's an invitation right now from from heaven to the body of Christ to look up, to see things at a whole different level. I'm talking city level, national level. I'm talking beyond just your small little world. But God wants to show you things to come. He's looking for people to partner with, to change nations. Am I talking to the right church here? Come on. I'm preaching better than you're responding. See, every time you say amen, you're saying, I agree. So be it. There's a a bind in the spirit. Amen? Amen. Oh, that's better. I know know you're with me, but let's, let's, let's interact today. He sought to see who Jesus was, but the crowd stopped him. Religion. Our understanding of Jesus stops us. See, some of you, when I said nations and cities, you turned off. I felt it. As soon as I said it, it was like, not me. I just want to learn how to survive today. Now, that's a reality, and and I'm not saying that's not important. God wants to give you sight so you can see how to get through your solve marriage problems, financial problems. And that is a level that's so important. I'm not degrading that. But I'm saying that, that that's primarily a reactive thing. It's solving my problems, my world. There's a place for that. But God's looking to partner with people to change nations. And the crowd will stop you and say, no, that's not for you. You're too small. You can't do that. You're too insignificant. You've got too many problems. I'm here to tell you by the Spirit, God's just looking for someone that wants to see. That says, God, you show me things to come. Show me. Open my eyes. Give me prophetic understanding. So he ran ahead. See, that word literally means he was a forerunner. 
He ran ahead. And that's what you are, church. You are forerunners. God's looking for people that have got beyond just the pain of the day. And they're forerunning. They're going out beyond what everyone else has done. He's looking for forerunning churches that are seeing things that nobody else has seen. That, that cut open a new way for those to go. It's like the, the Bannister. Roger, is it Roger Bannister? As his name is it, the, the guy that broke the three minute, four minute mile, whatever it was. He created uh, like a path for people to follow. One after the other followed him because he was a forerunner. It's the same with the church. When God can find a church that sees up, that looks up, that looks beyond just the pain of the day, something begins to shift. Yeah. 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 He ran ahead and he climbed up a sycamore tree. Because he realized that that's where Jesus was heading. And sure enough, Jesus came to that place and looked up and said, you and I, we're going to change the world together. That's in my language. But that's what Jesus is looking for. People that are perceptive of what is taking place. They're not just caught up in the pain of the day, but they're looking up. They're climbing up to the sycamore tree, not just on a ground level, but they're saying, God, lift me up and give me perspective above what I'm caught up in in my life. Is this making sense? Don't get caught up in the pain of the day, in the smallness of just your little world. It's important to God. Don't misunderstand me. He wants to bless you and heal you and, and at a micro level. But God's passion is to build big people right. that see nations. This sycamore tree is of great interest to me because it represents the hour in. And I'm going to share things. Some of, them, some of you already know some of the things I'm going to share because you read. But I'm going to share you about prophetic things that are about to happen. I'm not here to make predictions. I grew up with predictions, Barry Smith and others. There's a place for that. The Holy Spirit has shown me in dreams things to come. He's given me dates. But I'm not here to do that. I think you keep those to yourself unless God tells you. But I'm here to show you that something is stirring in this season that is so significant. In history. That's what I'm here to do. I'm here to cause you to see, to open your eyes to say, there's something going on that's bigger than just my little world. I want to awaken divine purpose and destiny. Whether you're young or old today, I want you to hear by the Spirit of God, God is up to something that is going to radically shift this generation, this, this city, the earth, God is shaking and something's about to change. Do you hear me? I feel it in my waters. The sycamore tree is of great interest, that this tree he climbed up. It's the place, if you're taking notes, of spiritual sight, of prophetic understanding into the times and seasons. Why do I say that? Amos 7.4 tells us, Amos says, I was neither a prophet nor the son of a prophet. I was a shepherd and I took care of sycamore trees. But the Lord took me from that place and said, go prophesy to my people. He was a tender of sycamore trees. He was a shepherd. And God began to stir him as he, as he nurtured the sycamore trees. The prophetic mantle began to fall on him. The sycamore tree is unique in the, in the land of Israel. And it's a picture of climbing up 
and seeing with spiritual prophetic eyes. That's important because Amos 3.3 says that the Lord does not... No, sorry, not Amos 3.7 says the Lord does nothing unless he first talks to his servants, the prophets. See, what God is about to do here, he wants you in on. God's not just going to do it on his own. He's looking for people that he can display his power through, who he can share his secrets with. God's about to do something on the planet, and he's waking up people. He, in the night, he's speaking to people and saying, guess what? I'm about to do something. Do you want to go in on with me? Do you want to join me? Do you want to partner with me? I don't know about you, but there is nothing, nothing, no drug, not that I've taken any, apart from Panadol. There's, no, there's nothing in this world that compares to being woken up by God and hearing His voice, His audible voice, His voice rise up in your spirit. It makes me come alive. Is anyone else like that? I get the heebie-jeebies. He wakes me up in the night and I come alive. He begins to share things and show me things. And that's where I truly feel this is what I was born for. <laughs> Sorry? Jeremiah 33.3. How many people have seen 333 at all? Okay, only a few of you. I see it all the time. Whenever you see a collection of numbers, God speaking. And when you see 333, I think of Jeremiah 33.3. Call unto me, and I will show you marvelous great things that you do not know. In, uh, that, that, those, that word literally means inaccessible things. Things beyond your natural reach. It's called climbing up a sycamore tree. And God's showing people. He's calling people. Can God speak through numbers? He's done it right through Scripture. And he says, you know what? I'm sending little signs. You'll, you'll look at the clock and all of a sudden you'll see repeating numbers. You'll see signs. And God's trying to get your attention that he wants to show you things that you can't see. He wants to show you more things that you, than you want to see them. He's just looking for someone that says, I recognize you wanting to call me. I'm in. Prophetic people discern times and seasons. And signs. Genesis 1.14 says that the lights in heaven were created and placed up there, the sun, the moon, the stars, for signs, seasons, days, and years. The signs were omens or warnings that God would communicate important matters to his people. He would show that he has a divine calendar. You study the Hebrew calendar. It's in a lunar cycle. And God would speak to his people through appointed times and seasons and days. And when you begin to understand that that's the way God communicates, you begin to lock into what God is saying right now on planet Earth. God has always spoken to his people. One of the ways that God speaks is through days and seasons, and times, and years. And, and one of them particularly, I was just uh, communicating with a Jewish friend of mine, and uh, even to today, there's a great understanding that the word jubilee, the concept of jubilee, is incredibly important in the time clock of God, in the calendar of God. If you don't know what the word jubilee means, it's actually an English word, and it comes from a Hebrew word, which is spelled Y-O-V-E-L. 
And it means the trumpet or the ram's horn. And on the Day of Atonement, they would blow on the ram's horn and announce the start of the year of Jubilee. Jubilee is such an important season and time on the planet. Did you know that? It's a time when all those that were in slavery, you could sell yourself if you got into debt as an Israelite, into slavery. You could sell your possessions. But when Jubilee came on the 50th year, everyone that was in slavery got set free. That's a good thing. And everyone that had lost their property, lost their inheritance, all the inheritance that had been stolen from you, you got it all back. How many people have had an inheritance stolen from them? Maybe spiritually, emotionally, things that are in your generational line that through fear and misunderstanding, your forefathers handed it over. The Jubilee season says, everything that belongs to me, it's coming back. No Jew could permanently lose their inheritance. See, we're in a season now where God's causing his people to see that there's an inheritance that he has laid up for the just. There's something shifting about inheritance right now. There is, there is about to be an unlocking of all the inheritance that the enemy has stolen. Jesus came to seek and save that which was lost. What was lost? Well, we were lost, but we lost our inheritance as well. And he says, I'm going to have it back. He says, sit at my right hand until I make all your enemies your footstool. And Jesus is not coming back till every enemy, death, sickness, disease, finances, land, until it's under his feet, under his lordship. When the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of the sun. Did you hear me? Jubilee was such an important thing. And I'm going to try and pull this together and make sense of it. But Abraham was born the 30th Jubilee from Adam. And I know Jubilee in itself didn't start. But what I'm getting at is if you times 30 times uh, 50, Abraham was born the 30th Jubilee from Adam. He was God's new beginning. The Exodus was 50 Jubilees from Adam. It was the greatest setting free of slaves in, in, the, in the history of the Israelites. The dedication of Solomon's temple was the 60th Jubilee from Adam, where God gave them rest from their enemies, where it was a season where they were able to possess their inheritance and enjoy it in the most full way possible. The Jews returned to Jerusalem under King Cyrus' edict on the uh, 70th Jubilee from Adam. Again, Jesus' death and resurrection on the 80th Jubilee from Adam. Isn't it interesting on the 80th? Because 8 is the number of new beginnings. You talk about a Jubilee. Jesus introduces his ministry. Isaiah 61, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me, for he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He announces the year, the jubilee year of the Lord's favor. He's saying, I am the fulfillment of the jubilee. If you've been in slavery, I'm here to set you free. If you've lost your inheritance, I'm here to give it back to you. Amen. So jubilee's always been a very, very important season, time in the life of God's people. We don't know what's happened to the Jubilee. I talk to Jewish friends. They're not quite sure 
where it's gone because they failed to celebrate the Jubilee. They have an idea of the, of the seven-year cycle about the Jubilee, and they're not quite sure. But what is really interesting, and I'm just throwing this out. Some of you may know it. I'm not trying to build a doctrine over it, but I'm trying to just suggest something that may be of interest to you prophetically. Some of you may know of Rabbi Judah ben Samuel. Have you heard of his name? He was born in 1140 and died in 1217. And he was a man who gave prophetic words based around the concept of Jubilee. And he said that after his death, in 300 years' time, that the Turks would control Jerusalem for eight jubilees, which is 400 years. So he said from 1517, the Turks would come, they would take over Jerusalem, and they would reign there for eight jubilees, which leads which leads you to 1917, which is a special year to every Aussie, to every Kiwi, to all the British, because we marched in there, the 800 light horsemen, and we set Jerusalem, Israel free. He prophesied that in the 12th century. He said then that Jerusalem would be a no man's land for another jubilee. So 1917, the British come in, they take rule of Israel, but Israel really don't have uh, control. The Jews have control over Israel. We know in 1948 it was signed over. But many believe that, that the prophetic time clock of the church is not Israel but Jerusalem. And old Jerusalem had not been captured. It was still under the control of, the, of Jordan. And in a six-day war, which was in 1967, which is a jubilee from when the British moved in, in the six-day war, guess what happened? Old Jerusalem was captured. Israel were down 50 to 1, surrounded by nations. And in six days, they defeated all their enemies and recaptured Jerusalem. And the prophetic time clock began to tick again. They had not owned Jerusalem since AD 70. That's a long time. 1967. It gives you a bit of an understanding of when the next Jubilee is coming. Some say that we are, and I'm not saying that this is true because I, I don't know. I've read a lot. I'm not quite sure, but I'm just putting it out there for your consideration because God's doing something. The purpose is not to set dates, but to open your eyes to see that we are in something significant in this season. Does that make sense? Don't go home and say, Andrew said that the Jubilee is coming next year. I didn't say that. But some think that we are approaching in the next year, the 70th Jubilee since Israel marched into the Promised Land. Jubilee. But there's another mystery called the Shemitah. And every seventh year, the land would come under arrest. No sowing or reaping, buying or selling. It's really a picture of the gospel. That God gives and we don't earn. We rest. We didn't earn or deserve anything. It's all a work of grace. See, this is the season that we're in that, that we're getting an understanding of the grace of God. 
the, the, the Israelites who were slaves in Egypt, they're introduced to this concept of the Sabbath rest. Imagine a slave getting an understanding that I don't have to work anymore. I have to slave that I can rest and God will provide. Did you know that today? God's not interested in self-made men and women. God wants to get all the glory. He who boasts, let him boast in the Lord. I want to say I'm a God-made man. It was because of his grace. I rested in him and look what the Lord has done. He healed my body. He cleansed my mind. He got me out of debt. He gave me a beautiful wife. Amazing. Well, the beautiful wife bit's true. The Shemitah was unique because it affected the nation's economic and financial realm. It wiped out all the accounts of credit and debt, Deuteronomy 15. And it reached its culmination, get this, on the last day of the Hebrew year, the Shemitah, the seventh year, and it reached its culmination on the very last day of the Hebrew calendar. And if you're wondering what that is, it's... The 29th day of Elul, which is E-L-U-L. This is the culmination of the Shebetah where all the debt and all the stuff that had been accumulated, it was cancelled. It's a powerful time. It's a significant time in God's calendar. It was a sign of God's favour on Israel. But it was also a sign when Israel neglected the Sabbath of God's displeasure and judgment. When they observed it, brought blessing. When they neglected it, God, it, it, what they were saying to God is, we don't want to come under your covering. We want to be self-made. We want to do it ourselves. And it's like they opened up a doorway for the Assyrians, all the other tribes and nations to come and attack them. We don't want to be under your lordship or your covering. So it was either a sign of God's favour or else it exposed them to the enemy. Can I? Oh, there's the next. We've got the right slide. Fantastic. It's interesting when you study the Shemitah because probably one of the most important years ever known to man was 1966. It's a joke. It's my year I was born. <laughs> Almost got you. It was here the World Trade Center. The ground was broken for the World Trade Center. Interesting. 1973, we have the next Shemitah. That was another important year. It's the year my wife was born. It was the year that Roe versus Wade, where abortion was legalized and millions of babies were then lost. But it was also the years, the year that the towers opened, the World Trade Towers opened, which is interesting. And as you study through, you see all the, the years of the Shemitah. You can see that we're about to, we're in one right now. And these are years where something significant happens in the culture and the life of Israel, where credit is wiped out, where debts are erased, where either God's people come under incredible blessing. Whereas the enemy comes in and causes incredible havoc. And this cycle has been right through history. It's interesting on, in 2001 that we had one of the greatest stock market crashes America has ever known that occurred, listen, on the 29th day of Elal. Do you get that? 
the, the crash occurred on the last day of the Bible calendar. The, the culmination of when debts are removed and credit is, is erased. It's all, it all happened on that very day. Do you think God was in that? And then we see again on, the, on 2008 where there was the Wall Street crash. Again, it happened on the 29th day of Elal. Seven years apart. Not seven years apart in the Western calendar, but seven years apart to the day in the Hebrew calendar. God was saying, I'm about to do something. Johnny Enlow, some of you may know, he has an amazing prophetic ministry. And he said that this year that we're in a significant season and the number 14 had been coming up to him. It's interesting, you go back 2001, we're now in 2015. And he said the church has been in this 14-year uh, assignment where the enemy has come against God's people and particularly against the hope of God's people. He said that Jacob worked 14 years for Rachel. He said that, that Joseph was basically incarcerated for 14 years, where the enemy came against his hope and his dreams. But on the 14th year, God did something significant in Jacob and in Joseph's life that affected nations. I picked up my shirt today, which is rather ironic because I didn't plan to do this, and I put it on. And I looked down and look at the number. Karen and I came to this church in 2001. In fact, we came on the 2nd of September 2001. Our first board meeting was, I remember being in the board meeting and looking on TV as the towers began to come down. We've been here 14 years and God's put it in our heart to bring hope to our city. This has been an incredible 14 years, not just in our life, but in the life of this church, but bigger than that, in our city, in the nations. These last 14 years have been, I believe, incredibly important in the prophetic timetable on planet Earth. Some of you may know of Jonathan Kahn. He brings great insight into what took place in 2001 with the Shemetahs. And if you've read it, please you know, bear with me, but some of you may not know this. But he says that God began, it's like something began to unfold in the Shemetah cycle. See, what would happen is that where Israel began to rebel against God, it was almost like God would, would call them and, and call them. But in the end, they would open up an avenue for the enemy to come and attack them. And it's like something began to shift, I believe, in 2001 in the Shemetah cycle. And when I talk about this, you need to understand you need to look at it with eyes of hope. Because as I study Bible history, whenever God does a great thing, there's a shifting and a shaking that happens beforehand. When God lifts up his people, it comes as a direct result from shaking. So I look at all of this with great eyes of hope. If everything stays the same, God help us. If we are to be the head and not the tail, something has to shift. Something has to shake. God has to do something. Awake, O God, let God arise and his enemies be scattered. Amen? So I look at this with great eyes of hope. I don't see doom and darkness. Yes, there's going to be 
dark days on earth. But as the dark gets darker, the light will get brighter. Isaiah says that, arise and shine for the light has come and the glory of the Lord has risen. Yes, there will be deep darkness, but you shall arise. There will be light even in the dark places. And Jonathan Kahn talks about Isaiah, chapter 9, verse 10. And he's, as he walked through ground zero, God, he's, he, this guy's a Jew, God began to show him what was taking place prophetically. And have we got Isaiah 9, 10? I don't know if it's there, but it says, The bricks have fallen down, but we will build with hewn stones. The sycamores are cut down, but we will change them into cedars. After Israel was attacked by the Assyrians, the Assyrians came in and they chopped down all the sycamore trees. And what did Israel say? They said, by you, pride rose up. Instead of saying, God, something's happened. Why is this taking place? Where have we allowed chinks to come in? God, what have we done wrong as a nation that this would happen? Instead of like David, he would inquire of the Lord. Lord, why did we go out and fail? What took place? But instead of doing that, Israel said, you know what? You cut down our sycamores. We're going to build bigger trees and better trees, stronger trees. We will put the cypress in place of the, of, of the sycamore. We will build with our own strength. Yes, the enemy took us down, but you know what? We've got bigger and stronger trees. That's called pride. And one of the worst things to govern a nation is the spirit of pride. We humble ourselves before the Lord. Humble yourself before the Lord. So, what took place? Have we got the next slide? I think it's the next slide. This is a bad picture, but that's all I could find. As the towers came down, some of you will know this, a beam was thrown out from the tower and hit this sycamore tree. This sycamore tree was planted at St. Paul's, which was the very house, or the very church, sorry, where Washington, Washington, came and dedicated himself after he was inaugurated. He came and he consecrated his life in, in, in the chapel where this sycamore tree is. And, and the, the beam came down and crushed the tree, but the church was saved. The church, which is in the grounds of Ground Zero, it was completely untouched. Untouched. It's phenomenal. They can't understand why it was untouched. They used that church as a refuge place for the firefighters in the time to come. But this sycamore tree was cut down. The leaders the next day began to respond. And there's three occasions that I see this happening. There may be more. But the very next day, the Senate majority leader stood up to define what had happened. And he talked about the tragedy. And he, opened, he refers to one scripture in the Bible and he reads from Isaiah chapter 9, verse 10. And he says, we shall rebuild. He read it as a, not as a state of, uh, he actually read it like a state of defiance. This has happened, but we will rebuild. Not knowing that Isaiah 9 is talking about Israel coming into such a state of pride that they had judged. John Edwards, the Democratic candidate for the vice president, in 2003... At the, on September the 11th, he's at a prayer breakfast. He's talking about what happened. And he reads from the very same passage again. In fact, I believe that Barack Obama, 
alluded to that as well. Now, what's interesting is that this sycamore tree eventually is broken. It doesn't survive. And, and we know that in 2003, November 2003, they replaced that sycamore tree with a conifer, which is the equivalent of the cedar tree. They didn't realise what they were doing, but they actually replaced the sycamore tree with a cedar tree. But what many of you don't know or may not know is that it only lasted a short time and secretly they came because it wouldn't live. They took it out and if you go to that place now, there is no cedar tree. It didn't survive. But they are reenacting what took place. Something is happening. It's interesting too because... As you study this, because it says that we will replace it with hewn stones, and, and you see that there's a, a stone that they put in. Have we got the next slide? There you go. And as they put this stone in, the governor talked about the spirit of defiance. We will rebuild the foundations. That stone as well was taken out a few years later because it didn't work out and it's dumped somewhere. It's interesting as you go on, that it, it, the next slide is that the sycamore tree, a sculpture came and he took the roots of the tree and he made a cast out of bronze. And we know in the Bible, bronze speaks of judgment. And he takes it and he rebuilds it and he takes it down to Wall Street and he plants it there as a, as a picture for everyone to remember of the sycamore tree. This is really interesting because Wall Street was created where 24 stockbrokers came together under the Buttonwood tree, which is a sycamore tree, at 68 Wall Street. And they made this agreement together to create Wall Street, which would be the centre for all the world's finances. And here we have an upturned sycamore tree, the roots being pulled out as a picture of God's judgment sitting right smack bang in front of Wall Street. I find it interesting because in 2008, when the second major crash came, Wall Street went down by 777.68. 68 Wall Street, where the agreement was made. And we see the cycle of 777. All these little things that God is showing that he's about to shift something in the economy of this world. Yeah. Is this making sense? Yes. 2008, September 29th, the last day of the Shemetah, this major crash happens. And yet, I don't know that God's people are picking up the signs of what's going on. The next Shemetah is due for September the 25th this year which is the last day of the Hebrew calendar. Some believe that we will then enter into what is the 70th Jubilee from 1967 into 2016, 17. They believe that we're about to enter into that season. It's interesting because something's about to shift and change. Seven times they blew the trumpets around Jericho and the walls collapsed. Daniel speaks about 70 times 7, the seasons being fulfilled and redemption coming. Revelation speaks about the seven trumpets being blown 
and a shifting of power. Revelation 11, 15 says, says, The seventh angel sounded, and there were loud voices saying, The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of the Lord and his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. Now turn back with me as we close to Luke 19, verse 7. What am I saying today? Well, I've thrown a whole lot together. But I'm saying that we're in seasons and times that are dramatic in the history of the world. I'm not saying the world's about to end. I have no idea. But I do now know that we are walking into a major shift. Whether it's this year or the year to come, things are heating up. Things are about to change. There are cycles there is an economy of God that people that have eyes to see pick up. God, what is it you're saying? God, you said in Genesis 1.14 that you put the sun, the moon, the stars in the, in the sky for signs, for seasons, for warnings, for omens, to get us to see what it is that you're doing. Zacchaeus makes his way up the tree in Luke 19.7. He comes down and receives him joyfully. But when the crowd saw it, they complained, saying, you've gone to be a guest with a man who is a sinner. When you begin to embrace a prophetic lifestyle, when you begin to see what God's doing, it will create havoc. People will misunderstand you. It will create problems. But Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor. If I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold. And Jesus said, Today salvation has come to the house, because this man is also a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which was lost. I don't know everything, but what I do know is that we're in a season where God is restoring, where God is taking hardened hearts and causing them to open up their hearts and release gifts and wealth to the poor and needy. There's a shifting come. I've seen it in the spirit where people have hoarded wealth and been wicked with their wealth. God's unlocking that. And the way he's going to do it, he's going to shake things and shake things. And I'm saying this not so you would be scared, so, not, so you would be... So you'd be forewarned. You'd position yourself and say, God, what do I need to do to be part of the great shaking? How to be part of the shifts? How do I build my family, my organization to position ourselves to be ready for the shiftings in the kingdom? This is our greatest opportunity. I don't know how, where, why. I don't know all the details. But I do know that God's about to shift things in an alarming rate. But he talks about the wise and foolish virgins. Now, you can read that many ways. But one of the things I think God is saying is that be ready, be prepared, have eyes that are open, see what God is doing. When things begin to shake, don't fret, don't fe be fearful. Don't say, God, what are you doing? Say, say God, I'm in, I'm ready, I'm watching. Because I believe God's going to take things from some and give to others. It's a picture of the Bible. Look what he did with Joseph. Seven years, there was plenty, and in seven years, there were famine. And in one swoop, God shifted whole economies. And he'll do it again. He'll do it again. And you'd have eyes to see.
You don't put your trust in your own ability, your own wealth, but our trust is in Him. Yeah. We look to Him and we say, God, cause me to be a resource. If you're a man or woman that wants to hoard, whether it's your own giftings, your wealth, look out. This is not going to be a great season. But if you're a man or a woman that says, I'm, I'm the kingdom, I, I'm blessed, I want to be blessed, I want to have things, but I want you to flow through me. Use me, cause me, Lord, not to get in the way, but to be a channel. Then look out, God's about to reveal things to you, give you secrets, ideas, strategies. Because when this shifts, there needs to be people that can catch what shifts. Just history tells us the greatest depressions and the greatest, the times of the greatest darkness has been the greatest transfers of wealth. And I'm not just talking about money, but whenever there's a shift going, there's things that, that accompany that shift. It's more than just money, but there'll be giftings. There'll be the greatest release of salvation and healing and deliverance and the things that we value in the kingdom. And the reason I talk about money is because it's going to be a very clear thing that God will do to separate his kingdom and the kingdom of darkness. Not the only, but it will be one of the things. And he will use that to fund the greatest harvest, I believe, that's coming. Zacchaeus wasn't just going to stand around trying to see Jesus through the crowd. He was built to look up. And I say to you today, there is a place for God to come through in your own finances and the things, they are important. But there's also got to be a place in your life where you look up. I'm mindful in my life, I want my family to be blessed. We are blessed. I'm a rich man. And I'm very mindful of a wise man lays up an inheritance for his children's children. So there's, all, there's a place for that. And I talked to Karen about this. It's so important to me to provide for my family. And have things and bless them. Because every father wants to bless his kids. But I also realize that there's another part of me that says, you know what? I don't want to stay there. I want to enjoy that. But Lord, give me kingdom perspective that thinks about cities and nations. I don't want to just stop about making sure my family healed and saved and blessed. But Lord, I, I begin to reach out for a whole city. I want to see for a nation. And that's what he's doing in the church. He causes us to look up. Look up. Look up. The sycamore tree is a place of divine encounters and perceptions. God is changing seasons and times. I feel it in my waters. I feel it. I wake up at night and I can't sleep. Because he's doing something. He's showing us things. He'll show you things. And if you guard it and treasure it and act on it, God will do amazing things for you. I had a dream last year that I was going into a tunnel. I told you this and I got scared in the middle of the tunnel. It was dark and dingy. And I looked back and I turned back to head back to where I came from. But the entrance of the tunnel got smaller. And I realized that either it got smaller or I got bigger. But I couldn't go back to where I was. And this is a picture of the church. We may have been in a place for 14 years where it's been dark and dingy, but you can't go back to where you once was because yeah. you've become bigger. Yeah. You've stretched, you've grown. The church has become bigger. The kingdom's become bigger. Yeah. And in that dream, I was scared and a fireman came 
from the other end and I realised when I woke up it was Jesus and he grabbed my hand and he led me through the darkness to the other side where there was a train coming past the tunnel. And that train was a picture of the ministry, the move of the Spirit that's coming. And he took me straight to the train. Some of you have been in a dark place. There's things you've been going through, challenges to hope. But Jesus is with you. Mm. He has a plan and a strategy yeah. for your life. Yeah. And you know what? Don't go back. Don't settle for the crowd. Look up. Like the fishermen, don't just camp at the, on the shore. Go out again. Launch out again. Believe. All things are possible. This is the greatest time to be alive on the planet. This is a time where God's given his church true spiritual sight. So why don't you put your eyes, hands, eyes on your hands or your hands on your eyes, whichever is easier. Spiritual sight, Lord. Lord, I pray that people won't get locked in in the the rubbish of the day, the nonsense of the day that the enemy is spewing out to cause people to be distracted. But give them, give everyone here today spiritual sight. And I release again over your, you today dreams and visions. Lord, you said when you poured out Holy Spirit that we would have dreams and visions. You would show us signs. Open the eyes of every person in this place today. Cause them to see. Teach them the language of the kingdom. The language of the kingdom. Lord, like the blind man on the side of the road, we say, Lord, what we want more than anything else is eyes that see. Lord, we feel like we've been stuck on the side of the road begging just to get through the day. But Lord, we want to be able to see so we can follow you. We want that more than anything, Lord. Open the eyes of our understanding. Lord, you, through the Apostle Paul, pray that we would have the eyes of our heart enlightened. We pray for the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you, that we may perceive the hope of our calling and the glorious inheritance that you have in the saints and the exceeding greatness of your power that is on hand is at work to those that believe. According, It's the same greatness of power in the same degree that rose Jesus from the dead, that's the power that's at work within us and causes us to see that in our day and our hour. Do miracles that are beyond anyone's understanding. Raise up men and women that will defy all the laws of natural understanding, Lord. Raise us up. Raise us up. Raise us up for this time, Lord. Give us eyes that see. And that's been the history of mankind, that God has picked people, take them out of obscurity like King David. He learned to develop his eyes in the, in the sheepfold. He raised him up to be the greatest king. Lord, do it in this day. Open the eyes of your people, Lord, to do ext- extreme things, exceedingly abundantly above all they could ask or imagine. So we pray, Lord, Cleanse our eyes, anoint our eyes, anoint our eyes to see, Lord. It's not the same. 
It's not the same. Let a spirit of hope rise up in this house. May we be a people of great hope, of encounters, of signs and wonders and miracles. Lord, may we see you. May we see you like we've never seen you before. May we be smitten with your love, your kindness. You said you'd come and reveal yourself to us. So we say, Lord, give us eyes to see Jesus. Let us encounter you each day. We want to see you. We want to see your glory. We want to see your kingdom come. Our heart is to see you, Lord, acknowledged in every land as King of kings and Lord of lords. That is our deep desire. So give us eyes to see that, Lord. In Jesus' name.